0: Good morning. The Bible reading this morning is from Paul's letter of love to the Philippians, chapter 1, verses 12 to 30. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one Spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have.
1: Hello again, everybody. That was, um, Shirley, that was so wonderful, um, reading the Bible. I can listen to Shirley read the Bible all day. I think it needs to be recorded. It's, I really appreciate the Bible being read very well. I wonder if you've wondered why some people, you may know these people, some people are so fired up about Jesus, but some people aren't. Maybe you feel that way. You see others, you look at them, and you see their commitment to Jesus, and you wonder if you are missing something. Uh, It's like maybe when you're building Lego, and you get to that final step, and it just doesn't feel quite right. Something doesn't fit. It looks a little bit different from the picture, and you wonder have I missed a step? Or is is there something that you needed to do first? Well, friends, today's passage, which Shirley read so wonderfully for us, can potentially feel like that. You can read this passage and feel burdened and discouraged. And that is the last thing I want to happen. I want you to be encouraged. And you will be, but you need to get a very important point. There's a very important point here, and if you miss it, it will lead you to feeling discouraged. But if you get it, it's going to change everything. So let's pray to God and ask him to help us. Gracious Father in heaven, we come to you and we give you things that Your word is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. And so we want to come to you now. We don't want to hear some wisdom from people, even though that can be helpful. We want to hear you, the living God, the God whose word created the heavens and the earth, the God who can create life in people, save them from the depths of their sin, save them from the jaws of hell. We want your word, your powerful word to be at work in us, change us, encourage us, mold us, point us to Jesus, help us know who he is so that we might worship him and love him and give ourselves to him. Father, please be with us as we hear you. Give us safety. But most importantly, Father, Lord, give us life. In Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you remember uh, from last week Paul's great prayer and vision for the church for them to be abounding in love. But it's not just any love, it's love that is grounded in knowledge and depth of insight. Love that leads to purity and blamelessness. It is Being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus, not from our own efforts. And ultimately, Paul gives this vision of being together, pure and blameless, arriving to that point on the day of Jesus. That's what we want too, isn't it? A great vision for the church. Now, in our passage today, Paul begins really his report to the Philippians' church. The Philippians were worried about him. They knew that Paul had been imprisoned. So Paul sends this letter to tell them how they're going. He tells them, please don't worry. In fact, his spirits are high. Things are going very well for him. But it's not because he's been released or he's going to be released soon. It's not because he's very comfortable where he, he was. At this stage, he doesn't even know what's going to happen to him. But his spirits are high. He is joyful because the gospel is advancing. Have a look at verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, you wouldn't guess it. But even with Paul being imprisoned, the gospel continued on. He was advancing. Now, the gospel just means the good news, the proclamation of that good news of Jesus Christ. The proclamation of the news that the God of the universe, the one who made heaven and earth, had come in the person of Jesus Christ, and he had died for the sins of the world, for you and me who would put our trust in him, and he is risen to life as the king of the universe, and to give us new life. That that is the gospel, the great news of that great event in Jesus Christ, and that message was advancing, meaning... People were hearing about Jesus. And people not just hearing about Jesus. They were turning their lives around and trusting in Jesus. Their lives were changed and transformed. Paul gives them two real examples here. Have a look at verse 13. The palace guards, presumably these were guards who took turns being chained to Paul 24 hours a day. So they got to hear the gospel. As Paul taught the gospel of people, as Paul talked to him, to them, they got to hear the gospel. And secondly, in verse 14, Paul's imprisonment, notice, has brought courage to other Christians in Rome. Rather than making them feel afraid, it gave them confidence to preach the gospel even more. Let me read to you verse 14. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord, And dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, I want you to remember these are regular Christians in Rome. They're not full-time ministers. They're not missionaries. They're people like you and me. And because of Paul's chains, they become even more confident, even more fearless in their preaching of the gospel. If Paul was imprisoned to stifle the advance of the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel, it seemed like it had the opposite effect. The spirit is working here. The gospel is like a rising tide and they could not stop it. No matter what you do, it cannot be stopped. They could arrest Paul, they could threaten others with imprisonment, but the gospel was unstoppable. Now, if you're the devil, you'd be pretty frustrated. You can imagine the devil having a meeting with his minions. There's nothing stopping them, one minion said. We threw persecutions at them. We even put Paul, the apostle, under house arrest. But he just ends up preaching to the gods. What are we going to do? And the devil said, we have to come up with a new idea. Come on, ideas. Give me ideas. Ah, I've got an idea, one minion said. Maybe if we... Tempt them with envy. Maybe we create rivalry rivalry within the church. Genius, the devil said. You're a sneaky one, aren't you? Let's do that. Let's create division amongst them. Let's make them compete against each other. Let's make them fight against each other. Let's divide them and conquer them. Let's do that. But guess what? Even that didn't work. Have a look at verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. I hope you can see it. Nothing is stopping the gospel. Sure, some have fallen a bit sideways. They're doing it for, for the wrong motives. They do it out of envy and, and rivalry. Pro- probably trying to, to make themselves look better than Paul. And they will be accountable to God for that. But guess what? Paul, Paul just, he doesn't care. As long as Christ is preached, he said, he rejoices. I rejoice, he says, because Christ is preached. Verse 18 Now, let's take a moment and think of Paul. What do you think of him? Now, honestly, I find him quite odd. He's under arrest, yet he rejoices. And simply because the gospel is advancing, because Christ is preached, everything else in his life can go down the drain, but as long as the gospel is preached... He rejoices. It's like the gospel is his whole life. It's like Jesus is everything to him. It's the one thing, the one single thing in his life that gives him abundant joy no matter what else happens. The bigger question, though, friends, is why is he like this? Why is it that he can rejoice in the gospel of Jesus despite his circumstances? What is it? That makes him, later in verse 21, says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What is Paul's reason for joy? Well, we don't need to ask him, because he tells us here. He tells us in the second part of verse 18... He says, yes, I will continue to rejoice. And then verse 19, I want you to notice that connecting word. And this is really important. As you read Paul's letter, when you, you, know, you see these connecting words, you see what, how Paul's logic is placed together. What leads to what? Do you see that word for or because it means? Do you see it? Paul's giving us an explanation here. This is why he can rejoice and continue to rejoice despite being in prison verse 19 here is his explanation for because i know that through your prayers and god's provision of the spirit of jesus christ what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance he rejoices because he knows something He knows that everything that has happened will turn out for his deliverance. He can be confident of this because people are praying for him. He is sure of this because he knows the Holy Spirit is helping him. He is confident that everything that has happened has one goal, one destination. If all road leads to Rome, he knows all of his life, every bit that has happened has one end, and that is his deliverance. His salvation, his vindication. And when he says deliverance here, he's not talking about being freed from house arrest. He's not just trying to be positive like when people say, don't worry, you'll be okay. No, he's setting his sight on something further, something greater. He is confident of the future. He's confident that God will finish what he starts and Paul will stand pure and blameless at the day of Jesus Christ. He's talking about his eternal and his ultimate salvation. This confidence is so great, the future hope is so certain that it affects the way he lives in the present. So much so that he can say to live is Christ and to die is gain. So in verse 20 he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see how this affects his life? All he wants is Christ exalted in his life, in his death. Christ exalted. To live is Christ because his eternal future is certain. To die is gain because his eternal future is certain. Um, just please let me be very clear here. Paul isn't suicidal. He's not looking to die because it's too difficult. He can't cope. He's, not, he's just not afraid of death. Why? Because his eternal future is certain. He's basically saying it doesn't matter for him whether he lives or he dies. All that matters is Christ glorified. How can he be not afraid of death? Because his eternal future is certain. That's why to die is gain. But more than that, because his eternal future is certain, the way he viewed life, what it's for, what it's all about... That changed too. To live is now about exalting Christ. Now, this point is so important, I really don't want you to miss it. So, let me illustrate. Now, it's really hard always. Sorry, I forgot to put that up. It's really hard to get kids to share with each other, including my children. I'll give you one example. I had a mentors one time, and Micah saw me had a mentors. So he asked for one, and I said, sure, you can have a Mentos. And then, of course, Maddie, my younger daughter, seeing that Micah got a Mentos, she wanted one too. And, of course, there was only one left. So they started fighting. I I was so desperate. I thought to myself, let's cut it in two, but I can't cut a Mentos in two. How do you do that? I even, I was so desperate, I even offered to give them the one in my mouth. (laughs) But even that didn't solve it. They just would not budge. And so I said to Micah, look, Micah, just give the Mentos to your sister. Uh, We'll go and get some ice cream. How about that? And immediately, Micah went, Maddie, here's your Mentos. There you go. (laughs) See, the knowledge of something better completely changed his perspective. Now, of course, Maddie heard this as well, and she also said, I don't want it anymore. You can have it. I want ice cream. <laughs> Do you get it? The certainty of something better in the future totally changed everything. I think this is what Paul is saying here. The, the certainty of his deliverance changed everything. changed his life, and it changed his death. So in verse 22, he says, For if I'm, go to, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. What shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you, to remain that, for you that I remain in the body. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. His future is so certain, it's shaped his life. His life, his everything is about exalting Jesus and not just himself, but he wants Christ exalted in others too. That is why he chose to stay so that people can exalt Christ in their lives too. For Paul to live is Christ, to die is gain. Well, let's consider some applications. Let me ask you this question. Is this for us too? Or is Paul just talking about himself? There are parts in the Bible where it's just descriptive, meaning it's just talking about other people. It doesn't mean that it has direct implication on us. So we should ask that question of this passage as well. Is it descriptive or prescriptive? Is it just for Paul or is Paul telling us to be like this too? And notice, it's not a command. There's no command here. He's not saying, for you, too, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He's saying, to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So is this for us as well? What do you think? Well, the answer is Yes. Uh, Even though Paul doesn't explicitly command it, I really believe he's trying to set himself as an example here. A life fully dedicated to the Lord Jesus. And it's actually very consistent with what Jesus taught. It's consistent with what Jesus wants all of us to be doing as his disciples. Let me show you a passage from Matthew chapter 16. This is what Jesus said. Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. If you hold on to your life, you will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? And what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And the answer is nothing. This is a call for radical discipleship. It is a call to lay down our lives for the sake of Christ. It is a call to lose the world, the whole world, to give up the whole world to gain Jesus, to gain eternity. It is a call for all our lives, all of us, our lives and our death to be all about exalting Jesus Christ. I suspect if you are a Christian... I don't need to convince you of this. You know this. You know the Bible tells you this. You know the Spirit testifies to this. In your heart, you know this is true. If you are not yet a Christian and you're checking out Jesus today, welcome. I hope to convince you, too, that life is about exalting Christ, But if you're a Christian, you know we know this totally. We know that Christ is the one that can really give us supreme and ultimate joy. We know that nothing else in this world, we know this in our head, that nothing else in this world can be compared to Christ. But boy, do we find it hard to live by these words. When we are confronted with the words of Paul, we recoil. We say, it's a hyperbole. We say, it's just for Paul, he's a very special case, he's a missionary, he's an apostle, of course he's like that. I'm sure the expectation of us is much lower. We turn around and we settle for things that are much less than Jesus. And so we turn Paul's words and we turn it, and our slogan becomes, to live is Christ, but also this and also that. And to die, well, definitely not. Because of this and that. I suspect you, you might find it hard to live by these words. You may want it, but it's so hard. And when we hear examples like Paul, it makes us feel guilty. It makes us scared. It makes us afraid. When I was at Bible College in our last year at Moore College, this was 12 years ago, by the way, Um, Those of us in fourth year, we had to do a project, a 15,000 words project, really a long essay. It's a full year project. Now, theoretically, we're supposed to have much of it done by the end of the first semester, but of course, I had not written a single word. And my project supervisor, a wonderful, lovely lecturer, would try and catch me during lunchtime, because we eat lunch together, to just ask me how I'm going. And I knew he was going to ask that question. And I knew my answer is going to be disappointing. Darwin, how's your project going? I haven't even started. So every time I saw him, I would turn around and walk the other way. He didn't know this, but for a while, I was playing hide and seek with him. (gasps) There he is, let's go that way. You know, a 30-something-year-old man trying to play hide and seek with his lecturer. Let me tell you, guilt and fear does not motivate us. It makes us run and makes us hide. If our motivation is guilt, um, our life becomes filled with resentment rather than Christ. And our death becomes uncertainty rather than gain. And I see this in a lot of Christians. They come to church and they begin to resent it. They hear the words of God and they begin to resent it. They get defensive. Their life is not filled with Jesus. It's filled with guilt and fear. So friends, how do we get there? How can we become like Paul? Is Paul is the exemplar for us. How can we say as well to live is Christ, to die is gain? The answer, I think Paul already told us, it's confidence in our future glory. And that is why I think verse 19 is the key for us. Because there Paul tells us the why. He can rejoice in all circumstances. He can be imprisoned. As long as the gospel is preached, he is joyful. He can say to live is Christ, to die is gain. He can endure all things for the sake of Jesus, even suffering and imprisonment. Why? Because he knows there's something greater waiting for him in the future. He is certain of it. He is confident of it. He knows the grace he has received, the forgiveness of sins he has gained, and the vindication that awaits him, the glory that will be revealed in him. He knows that, and he is certain of it. He knows that everything in his life points to one end, one goal, his eternal deliverance. He is so confident of it that it completely changed his life and his death. Friends, I, I, I want to say to you all today, that needs to be true for us too. Actually, Paul even pointed it out in the following verses. I wonder if you noticed we haven't quite finished our passage today. This is his exhortation to the Philippians. In verse 27, he says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves, or the ESV has lived in a manner worthy of the gospel. But the word Paul used there actually has reference not just living in general, but living as citizens. It's the same word used in chapter 3, verse 20, where Paul said, it's the same root word, I should clarify, when he says, Our citizenship is in heaven. I think he's saying there, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel because you are citizens of heaven. Live, conduct yourselves as citizens of heaven. He's pointing them to the future. He's telling them you belong there in heaven in the future. And again, he says that in verse 27. Again, don't be scared, stand firm because this is a sign to them, verse 28, that you will be saved. Again, pointing, Paul is pointing them again to the future. Verse 29 and verse 30, even when you have to suffer for Jesus, because that's what following Jesus involves, not just to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. We can stand firm. We can be fearless. We can live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Why? Because of our confidence in future glory. Friends, when we know that everything in our lives leads to one destination to stand pure and blameless before Jesus. And we know we'll get there because God is faithful and he finishes what he starts. It will change our life and it will change our death. So friends, be certain of it. Be certain of it. As Paul is certain because he sees the gospel advancing no matter what the devil does, No matter what the world does, the gospel advances, God is saving his people even today. Be certain that that day will come, Jesus will return because he died and he rose again. This is the key, this is the step you cannot skip. Because if you are certain of this future reality, you can and you will start taking risks for Jesus. You may not cross the ocean to proclaim the gospel to unreached people groups. But maybe you'll start crossing the road to invite your neighbor to church. Or to ask them, what what do you believe life is for? You will do that because you want Jesus exalted in life and in death. Because you are confident in your future glory. You may not give up your freedom and be imprisoned. But maybe you'll give up a weeknight to join growth group or a Friday night to go to youth group. Or maybe you'll give up as parents one of those other competing activities out there that the world offers and say, no, church is important. Church activities are important. Being together with Christians are important. Or maybe you'll give up your morning to teach Epic Kids or your holiday To volunteer at the holiday club, because for you to live is Christ, and to die is gain, because you're confident of your future glory. You may not be tortured and beaten for Jesus, but maybe you will risk being ostracized by your peers, because you want to please Jesus, not people, and you do that because you're confident of your future glory. You may not die for your faith. But maybe when death comes or when it knocks on our door, we will say with great faith, to die is gain because we are confident of our future glory. Friends, we have something greater than the promise of ice cream. So give up your mentors. Give up whatever it is that is holding you back to live for Jesus. We have something greater. Believe it. Be certain of it and it will change your life. And it will change your death. Father God, we give you praise that our future is secure because Christ has secured it. Not only did He die and rise again to give us new life, not only did He rise again in His resurrected body to give us the promise of resurrection. But Christ's Spirit is in us, living in us now, at work, in our daily lives, and we see the gospel advancing all over the world. We know, Lord, our future is secured, and so please give us courage. Help us to live our lives as citizens of heaven in a manner worthy of the gospel. Help us to risk all things for the sake of Christ. Help us be so certain of our future glory that to us, for us to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen. If you've got any questions, you can text me or you can chat with me after, at Morning Tea.